0: Welcome uh, to Synergy. My name is Shane Hart, and I am the operations and development director at OneChurch. Uh, and when you say it that way versus director of operations and development, uh, my daughter pointed this out to me the other day. When you say it as Operation or operations and development director, I am in charge of odd jobs, ODD. So there we go. That works just <laughs> fine for me. Uh, but uh, anyway, I'm going to be talking to you today about healthy conflict. And uh, I know this is in the kids' men track, uh, but I will tell you right now: I've been out of kids' ministry for a very, very long time uh, at this point. Although last August I did serve in our toddler room a couple of Sundays, uh, right when we Sorry were. I, I and, and th- the more importantly, they did. Um, <laughs> so yes, no, I we as we are coming back uh, doing in-person services for the first time in several months. Uh, We were doing it at just one of our campuses. And so all of the staff for that first month, all of the staff served in kids men at least one weekend. And uh, so I actually did two weekends in toddlers and I did two weekends in elementary. So I have been in kids ministry in the last few months, but prior to that had been years since I had actually served in kids ministry. Uh, However, conflict and dealing with healthy conflict is a universal concept and uh, Uh, But I know my audience, which you will notice by some of the photos that I chose to use in the presentation today. So let me let me ask this question. How many do have to deal with conflict regularly? All right. Those of you didn't raise your hand, you're conflict averse. And so I'm going to create conflict right now. You should raise your hand because we all deal with conflict all the time. That or you're just not really in relationship with people. Uh, Because if you're in relationship with people, you are dealing with conflict on a regular basis. The thing is. Most people don't like conflict. Now, there's a few of us that actually do. I'm one of I'm my personality type. I feed on conflict. Um, I get energy from conflict. Now, there's a level of it. Obviously, Um, I don't enjoy conflict with my wife. I really don't enjoy conflict with my daughters. Um, Well, I take it back. Sometimes I do actually. But you know. but I, I well, as other people, it takes a whole lot more energy, and they have to—I'm going to use the term—burn more calories to get into conflict. But it is absolutely a part of life and a part of ministry. And I'm going to say it's actually a necessary part. We need conflict. We absolutely need conflict. Conflict is necessary to ministry because without conflict. We stay stagnant. Think of this. In my neighborhood, um, we have ponds throughout. You know, they built the subdivision, built these nice little ponds in it. Well, the pond that is across the street from my house, when we first moved in there, um, there was all this controversy in the homeowners association and everything because no fountain had ever been put in that pond. And it's not a very big pond. Honestly, it's a little bigger than this room, but not by a lot. And um, no fountain had been put in it, which means water is coming into it, but n- nothing's really getting stirred up. And by the end of summer, it's not smelling so great. Because water that doesn't get stirred up, stirred up turns stagnant, and we call that a cesspool. And so within relationships and organizations, if there's never any conflict to keep things a little bit stirred up in a healthy form, things turn stagnant. Because conflict challenges the way we think. It brings new perspectives. It helps us to identify what the real issues and real problems might actually be that, that could be happening within our group, within our team, within our ministry. So conflict is necessary. However we want, healthy conflict. Because unhealthy conflict doesn't do anybody any good either. All right? um, I can, again, I'm going to pick on myself a little bit and with my personality, I can jump into unhealthy conflict very very easily, very quickly, um, and, and sometimes to me conflict is fun, but it's not for everybody else, and that becomes unhealthy. So what we've got to do is find what is healthy conflict, and how do we have healthy conflict within our teams, within our groups, and within our ministries. So first of all, you'll notice I didn't call this, and I don't use, I'm not using the term conflict resolution, Uh, Because we talk about that. There are conflicts to resolve. However, conflict itself is a tension to manage, not a problem to solve. Conflict is a tension to manage, not a problem to solve. Uh, This is a picture of the largest walkway suspension bridge in the world. And it's about six miles from where we sit right now. So right over here in Dublin. And uh, they just built this, just opened up. But a suspension bridge works completely off of tension. These, w- these wires and that, are, that are here aren't just for look. They create a certain amount of tension on the bridge, which keeps it suspended in the air. Tension is something that must be managed. And so conflict is a tension to manage, not a problem to solve. Now, again, there are conflicts that we will solve. There are conflicts we will resolve, but to to solve the problem of conflict within our group is never going to happen, and if it does, what we've reached is we've reached absolute conformity, and there's no diversity in our way of thinking. If there's ever diversity in the way we think, there's going to be conflict, and if there's diversity in the way we think, but we're not experiencing conflict, then that means we're either completely unaware, or everyone's just given up. At that point, they're just punching the clock. They're like, just let me put in my time, do my thing, and get out. Because as long as there's opinions, as long as there's diversity of thought, different perspectives, challenges, we're going to have conflict. So we want to learn how to manage it, how to manage that tension, and to do so in a very healthy way. Now, there are five basic strategies. You can do research on this. Um, uh, Psychologists talk about this. There's articles that you can find on this. I'm sure there's books and podcasts those kinds of things. But there are five basic strategies that almost everybody in the world uses. Yeah, I was just getting ready to say it's now that, now that things are changing, that's always getting a little up. There are five basic strategies that nearly, that everybody in the world uses these five strategies at some point in dealing with conflict, in one way or another. But there's five basic strategies for conflict. The first one is avoiding. Now these strategies are based upon the amount of assertion and cooperation that exists within the relationships or exists within the situation. So when you have low assertiveness and low cooperation, you just avoid it. Now, most of us would look at this and say, yeah, we know that's not a proper way to deal with conflict. It's kind of like when you hear a noise in your car and you turn up the radio and think that's going to make it go away. <laughs> All right? It's always funny. I get more laughter out of females when I say that than I do out of males. Um, That is just really fun. It's like somebody knows what I'm talking about. I'm not sure why that is. Um, But that does happen because I use that joke a lot. But avoiding conflict, we're not being assertive, and we're also not being cooperative. Now, most of the time, it is absolutely true. It is not a healthy way to deal with conflict. There are exceptions. Last year, in the political environment we were in, avoiding the conflict of political conversation was actually a pretty healthy way to deal with a lot of situations. Um, Thanksgiving meal with the family, avoiding political conflict, religious conflict, certain other things like that can actually be the right thing to do. Now, if there's a real conflict between me and another person, at some point it needs to be dealt with. This is a very, very short-term strategy. The problem is some people turn this into a long-term way of life where they're just always trying to avoid conflict. And there are some personality types that are more likely to try to avoid conflict. Um, there are personality types that want to avoid conflict at all costs. And there's all kinds of reasons we can get into the psychology of that. But this is only a short-term strategy. It's effective at times, but it's a short-term strategy only. The next one is accommodating. So now, again, this is low assertion, but highly cooperative. This is another common one. You find this one a lot in the corporate environment. Um, You will find this a lot of times within family as well, where one person is just accommodating the other one. And and again, we would look at this and say, well, that could be healthy. And you're right. It absolutely can be a healthy way to deal with conflict, to accommodate somebody in certain situations. And there are times in the situation of an authority, it's the only way you to really deal with conflict ongoing until you get that point. When I played football, if I had con- conflict with my football coach, guess what the strategy was? Accommodating. Coach says, go run, you don't look at him and say no, alright, it doesn't work, alright. So, you know, accommodating. The problem with accommodating is over the long haul, it leaves the person who's doing the accommodating, it can leave them bitter and jaded. And the person who's being accommodated, it can leave them unaware and entitled. So it does not work well in teams and relationships long term. Definitely not in ministry. Again, corporate environment. My wife has to deal use this form of conflict strategy a lot of times within the corporate corporation that she works in. But in ministry, I can tell you right now, now short term, there are moments for it. Uh, this can happen. It's a Sunday morning, and something's going on, and somebody's being r- somebody else is being really highly assertive. And you know, we just gotta get through this. So right now, I'm gonna be very cooperative, and we're gonna deal with this later. So it is an effective strategy, but again, it has its place. So all of these strategies have their place for dealing with conflict, and so that's accommodating. The next one is competing. And I'm gonna be honest, this is one of my favorites. All right, I love this one. Um, I, I'm sure it's hard for you to imagine in just a few minutes you've gotten to know me that, that but I'm a competitive person. All right, very competitive. Um, so much so my wife almost won't play games with me anymore. Um, and she says it's because I'm competitive, I say it's because she's competitive, but you know, that's another whole conversation. But competing, so this is high assertion, low cooperation. So two teams, out on a football field or a basketball court, baseball diamond, whatever it is, there's lots of of assertion going on they're not being very cooperative with one another. All right, and that's the way it's supposed to be. And so again, this is an effective strategy at times. When you are in an actual competition, team against team. Uh, When you're one company and you've got, you're working against another company who's a competitor who's trying to take market share from you. There are places for this. We can use this within our teams, even within ministry, for short-term effect. But when we're dealing with actual conflict between people, and it comes down to only about competition, about one person's trying to win out over another one, you're going to have a problem. Because in ministry, our job is to build people to win them over, not to win against. And so we see this happening way too often. I'll I'll be honest, a lot of times when I've been coaching and working through conflicts with couples, it comes down to a lot of times scorekeeping. You know, I got to win the argument. I I can tell you right now in relationship, nobody wins the argument. Even the person who wins the facts. You don't actually win the argument because it doesn't build the relationship. It doesn't build people. And in ministry, using competing as a strategy for conflict does not build people, I'm gonna tell you right now, I might be wrong about this and I'm okay if I am because it'll be a rare, rare exception. But I don't think in history any Ohio State fan has ever converted a Michigan fan by calling them a loser. (laughs) I don't think it's happened. I don't think any Pittsburgh fan has ever converted a, a Cleveland Browns fan by calling them a loser. But that's exactly what we're doing when we take a competitive mindset to conflict resolution. When we, when we think it's about me winning over the other person, winning out against them, instead of building them up. Because I'm calling them a loser now because I won the argument. And again, nobody wins in that situation. So it's an effective strategy, for short-term things, can be a motivator at times but not for dealing with conflict within our team not for dealing with conflict within ministry and then there's the the fourth one and this is the one that most people would say this is the way you deal with conflict and that's compromise so you find that middle ground of assertion that middle ground of cooperation all right we find we come down we come together we meet in the middle and you know give give a little take you know give and take all of that compromise and it is very effective Compromise is a very effective way for dealing with conflict. The problem with compromise is most of the time we come away with, yeah, we we gained something and we're aware of what we gained, so we're we're okay with the compromise, but we're still focused on what we gave up. Compromise too often feels lose-lose. It too often feels lose-lose. We talk about win-win. Hey, we both gained something in this situation. Yeah, (laughs) we also gave something up. And we look at it that way. I mean, when we, go, when we go to buy a car, we're compromising in that moment. And usually, we come out the loser. Trust me, the dealer's not. All right? I mean, that's just not the way that works. Uh, you know, but compromise, too often, again, we walk away with just that feeling of, this is what I gave up. This, this, is, this, is, what, this is what was taken from me in this situation. Sure, I, you know, I got something I wanted, but I had to give something up. Then there's the fifth strategy, collaboration, collaboration, all right? I'm going to be a good preacher, and I'm going to break down this word. It means to co-labor, to work together. As a matter of fact, the definition of collaboration is this. It's the action of working with someone to produce or create something. It's the action of working with someone to produce or create something. So we get into conflict. Now, movies like to portray conflict between two people, especially in a divorce type situation, in the same way. TV and movies, and every one of you can start thinking of a half a dozen at least that do this. You have this big, long conference table with big leather chairs, probably bookshelves on at least one wall, a big window at the end, and uh, no one's sitting at the head of the table, but you've got a couple people sitting on this side of the table with their lawyer and a couple of people or one person sitting on this side of the table with their lawyer and all the papers in the middle. And that's how we think of conflict a lot of times. And again, that's where we're coming, back. okay, that's going to the compromise model. But collaboration moves everybody to the same side of the table against the problem. Working together to produce or create something and often to produce or create something new. And that's a win-win situation. Yes, we could semantically talk about, well, I'm sure somebody's still giving up something there. Yeah, but at that point, you're not focused on what you're giving up because you're focused on what you're creating because you just produced something new. You just produced something together. You did it with that other person. So this is the ultimate form of conflict management, of having healthy conflict. When we can come together, okay, we've got a problem. We've got two sides of something. What can we do to create something new together in this situation? For a solution to this problem, to resolve this issue to fix this gap or rift or whatever it might be, collaboration. So as we talk about healthy conflict and dealing with conflict in this kind of a manner, all right, we're all we're all in ministry, all right? so. Let's go to the ultimate Bible verse on conflict management. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And I will tell you, I hate this Bible verse. I hate it. Why? Because I've got a quick tongue and a quicker temper. And when I have a thought or an opinion about something or an idea, I don't want to listen to you. I want you to listen to me. How good? How far does that go in actually bringing resolution or health to a situation? It does not. I'm absolutely aware of that. The experience of my life tells me that that does not work well. Quick to listen. My family's from Montana. My grandmother, she was a rugged old rancher. My, my grandparents ranched for years and years and years and. My grandmother was a one-room school house teacher in Nebraska when they got married, hid their marriage for 2 years otherwise she was going to lose her job, and then they moved to Montana and they start and they built a ranch. And she would always say, "The good Lord gave you two ears and one mouth, so he wants you to listen twice as much as you speak." I that to my there you go. <laughs> and then they all do this. <laughs> Quick to listen. How much better would so many relationships and team dynamics and situations be if everybody did this? If we were quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. There's all kinds of Bible stories, all kinds of things that I could pull out to talk about conflict. But to me, this is the ultimate verse on conflict management, conflict resolution and being healthy in how we approach it. That's why I love the book of James. If you're not aware, the book of James is called the Proverbs of the New Testament because it's got the most bumper sticker sayings in the New Testament. So there we go. And there's one of them. That one's one's totally for free. But see, healthy conflict, too often when we get into conflict, we get caught up going back to the strategies. We get caught up in the competing strategy because we think it's about who's right and who's wrong. That conflict is all about who is right and who is wrong in this situation. Most of the time it's not about who's right or who's wrong. Not really. It's about who's going to have the power, who's going to have the control in this situation, who's going to come out on top of this situation. That's, that's often what we're more worried about. Um, that's what social media is proving to us every day. People aren't, people aren't worried about actually winning others over. They're worried about proving a point. And Pastor Greg said this not long ago in a sermon, uh, our lead pastor. He said, just because you have a point doesn't mean you need to go around stabbing people with it. It's not about who's right or who's wrong. It's about what can we do to build each other up and to move forward. And in our ministries, in our situations, within our teams, the goal is to get us together moving forward towards a single purpose, accomplishing something great. It's not about who's right or who's wrong. Conservative or liberal, this or that, or this thing or, you know, whatever. Scarlet and gray or maize and blue. It doesn't matter. All right, and when it comes to that argument, it's this for this deca- decade. It's that for that decade, and it's going to s- s- change. All right, one dominates now; another one will dominate later. Same with political views. All those things, absolutely. So it's not about who's right, who's wrong. It's about what are we doing together? Yes, the truth matters. Don't don't get me wrong. I'm not I'm not advocating advocating for for subjective truth. Right, we believe in objective truth of the word of God, of course. But again, just because you have a point doesn't mean you need to go around stabbing people. With it. So we find a way to collaborate with people and to help our teams to collaborate so that we can move forward into accomplishing the purpose that God has for us in building each other up, solving the real issues. And the issue isn't who's right or who's wrong. The issue is wher- how, how are we going to most effectively minister to these kids? How are we going to most effectively teach this next generation a love for God and a love for his word and desire to get to know him? That's the issue. That's what we've got to be working through. How do we solve the the problem of, of safety for our kids and yet convenience for the parents? Those are the kinds of things that teams are working on. Those are the things that matter. Those are the things that we are working towards. So it's about solving the problems, building each other up, and accomplishing something great together. To do this, one of the things that we have to begin to do to have healthy conflict within our teams, especially if we are directly involved in the conflict in any way, shape, or form, is first of all, we have to begin to see the other person as a person, not as a label. And we are quick to see people as labels. A few years ago, I did it, I was uh, a couple years in a row, I was a part of an event called Gaze and God. And it was. Uh, Hosted in near downtown Columbus at the in the upstairs of a bar. And uh, I was on the panel. Well, here's the thing about it. And in the prom- promotional materials leading up to this event, Gaze and God, I talked about my perspective of we've got to stop seeing each other's labels. Right. It's easy to hate a label. Right. It's harder to hate a person. We've even seen this happen in extreme situations in war. There are story after story after story of soldiers who no problem pulling the trigger until they actually meet face to face and get to know somebody from the other side. And all of a sudden, it becomes a lot harder to pull that trigger. It's easy to hate a label. It's a little bit harder to hate a person. And so we have to begin to see every person as an individual who is valued and loved by God. And so, therefore... They're created in his image, so they deserve respect. Even when they're being hard to respect. Even when they are being a jerk. Even when they are being difficult. All of these things, we still have to see them as a person who is valued and respected, their significance, because every person needs to feel that. Every person needs to feel their value. They need to feel their significance in a relationship and on your team. So there are hard to deal with people in church. Absolutely. All right? We all know that. It's always been true. It will always be true. But they still have value. They absolutely still have value. We've got a man that we deal with every week, and he, co- he takes advantage of people got a disability and he uses the disability to his advantage because he is disadvantaged in some very legitimate ways but he also uses it to manipulate people so we have to deal with that now it'd be very easy to dismiss him be dismissive towards him to write him off but it's a whole lot better to treat him as somebody who has value and significance and help him work through that so that we can help him and he doesn't have to manipulate people That takes time. And that takes treating him with value and respect, not as a problem, not as he's the issue. No, he's a person. So as we're working through conflict with individuals, we've got to start to see the other person and treat them with value, significance, and respect. And one of the ways we can do this is to have a genuine, healthy curiosity about them. It's a whole lot easier to deescalate a situation when we step in and we become genuinely curious about somebody. Because if I, I'm in conflict with somebody and and they're ready, they're ready to charge after me. But I start showing genuine curiosity in who they are and in what interests them and in and, and in where they're coming from and those kinds of things. Then all of a sudden it's going to start to deescalate that that whole environment. It's going to start to make those kinds of things better because it shows respect. They feel valued. They feel heard. When someone sits down across from you and they're genuinely curious about you and they're genu- genuinely curious about where you're coming from, in that situation, you're going you're gonna to feel heard. You're going to feel valued. and Thankfully, this is something that some very wise people told me some things early in my life and I listened to them and I did this with my children where when they were very young, and I'm going to tell you right now, I couldn't care less as an adult, the opinions of a four-year-old. The ramblings of a four-year-old or a five-year-old little girl. They don't matter in the grand scheme of what I'm doing in life as an adult. However, I learned to be very curious with my daughters when they were young, when they were four, five, six years old and let them just talk and talk and talk and ask questions as if it's the most important thing in the world. And yes, as a father, The opinions of my daughters and and what's important to them should be really important to me. But I'm going to be honest, there's times that in the moment it didn't feel so much. But I would find a way within me to be very genuinely curious about them. So guess what happened when they were 14, 15, 16 years old? They still wanted to talk to dad. And now that they're 19 and 22, they still want to talk to dad. Why? Because dad showed curiosity and they felt heard at a very young age. And I, I don't take credit for that. Again, other people told me that, and I was like, okay, I'm going to I'm gonna trust you on it, and thank God I did. Because I was a youth pastor for many, many years, and I can't tell you how many times parents came to me with their 15-year-old, 16-year-old, to help me fix them. I'm like, well, we'll do what we can, but your chance was 10 years ago. And so in dealing with conflict with people, curiosity goes a long way towards de-escalating the situation and, and beginning to bring that point because again we're trying to win people over not win out over people because it's not a competition to be won it's a relationship to be built and everybody on your team is a person and a relationship for you to build every person that works in the nursery in the toddlers in the pre-k the elementary however your kids ministry is is organized every one of them from the children all the way up through the adults. It's a relationship to be built. That's a person to raise up in the purposes of God, to walk in relationship with him. It's never a competition to be won. And I have to remind myself of this all the time because I already told you, I want to win. I hate to lose, can't stand losing. I wanna win and I will turn anything into a competition. If I'm not careful. But relationships and team building and working within our team and dealing with conflict on our team is never a competition. It's never a competition to be won. It's always a relationship to be built. And this honors God. This honors God. Because remember, that other person is created in the image of God. That other person is someone he died for. That other person is someone that that God has poured into and loves more than you can even begin to imagine so who are you to treat someone that God loves that way with disrespect? To be dismissive towards them. To see them as somebody that you can win out over so that you can hold some kind of control or lord something over them in any kind of way. So to do this, as we're treating people with value and significance, treating them with respect, as we're coming and we're being genuinely curious about people, the way we want to approach conflict is we attack the problem, not the person. We attack the problem, not the person. Now I use this image very specifically because at one church, um, leading right up to COVID, in the in the eight months, six to eight months before COVID, we went through this unbelievable growth spurt. Right, we. We'd gone from averaging about seventeen hundred on the weekends to averaging twenty five hundred on the weekends in just over six months. And I could tell you on staff we didn't know what to do. <laughs> we didn't we I mean it was it was crazy. Well, people would ask Pastor Greg, they would ask others of us on staff that they knew, like, what's the key to growth? How how come you guys are growing so fast? What is it? I mean, you know. Is it this thing or that thing or whatever? And there's lots of reasons for it. You get into church growth, you can, you you can study it. Uh, read Andy Stanley's Stanley's book, Deep and Wide. It's like this. I mean, it's like this thick. You know, no, it's a big thick book, and it goes into th- their autopsy of success as a church and all of this. And there's all kinds of things. But one of the things, Pastor Greg and I were just. This was about a month before COVID hit us. Um, he and I were sitting in a in a restaurant, and we'd been traveling. Uh, he'd been doing some speaking. We'd been asked this question a lot, and we'd had different answers. As we're sitting there, we're kind of processing through this, and he goes, you know, I think one of our keys is that we bludgeon problems with a sledgehammer, which is great. We can bludgeon problems with a sledgehammer. We better not be bludgeoning people with a sledgehammer. So we attack the problem, not the person. And within conflict, there is a problem. So find the problem which we'll get to in just a moment. But we attack the problem, not the person. And so with that, I want to give you a really quick three-step framework for managing healthy conflict within your ministries. A very quick three-step framework, and we'll go through this fairly quickly. It's identify, clarify, rectify. And I've got this in kind of a circular fashion because we're talking about managing conflict, managing healthy conflict. Now, We have the ultimate source of everything we ever need in life in the Holy Spirit and God. And so, conflict always gets better when you pray your way into it, pray your way through it, and pray your way out of it. All right? Always gets better. Prayer is the key. All right? We can study the psychology. We We can talk systems and frameworks and processes and plans all day long, and they're good. I love those things, but we better make sure that we're bathing all of it in. So identify, clarify, rectify. So first of all, identify. As I said a moment ago, we attack the problem, not the person. So we can bludgeon the problem with a sledgehammer, but never the person. But in order to bludgeon the problem with a sledgehammer, you better know what the problem is. Because you start attacking something with a sledgehammer and it's the wrong thing, you're in trouble. I've done a fair amount of house construction in in my lifetime, remodeling, I've worked for different companies got my own business, uh, that for a short while I did that, I now focus on something else. But when you go in to do a remodel, you literally are taking a sledgehammer sometimes to some walls or some cabinets, but you better hit the right ones, because if you hit the wrong wall with a sledgehammer, you're in trouble, big time. So we can attack the problem with a sledgehammer, but it better be the right problem. So we need to identify, which means get curious. I use a phrase all the time when I'm talking to leaders and stuff called be a champion of curiosity. Be a champion of curiosity. So one of the ways to to begin to resolve a conflict, again, we're not resolving conflict, but a conflict to resolve a situation or an issue is you have to know what the real issue is. So get very, very curious about it. it. Put on your inspector gadget hat, grab your magnifying glass and go to work. Find out what the real issue is. It's so just like a doctor. You go into a doctor and say, hey, doctor, I've got, I've got some congestion and a fever, and I'm a little bit nauseous. Well, he could give you some Tylenol and Pepto-Bismol and send you on your way. Treat the symptoms. But those symptoms could be, one, could be caused by a thousand things. I mean, those are about as nondescript symptoms as, as it gets. So what's he going to do? He's going to investigate. He's gonna run tests. He's gonna take your vital signs. He's gonna get in and and she's gonna be looking at all kinds of things to find out what's going on behind the symptoms to get to the cause of the symptoms so that when when your doctor gives you that medicine, she's giving you the right medicine because the wrong medicine is not gonna do you any good and can actually kill you. Same thing happens within our team sometimes when we see the symptom of a conflict and we jump in and we start attacking the symptom, and we find we get too far down the road, and that's not the real issue. We've been spending all of our energy on the wrong thing. So before we can attack it, we've got to identify it. We've got to know what's actually going on here. Is, is it a scheduling issue? Is, it, is that person going through something in their personal life right now? Do they feel unheard or underappreciated? Do they feel like maybe they're being taken advantage of? What is it? Find out. Get curious. Identify what is actually happening there. And we want to get to the root, not just the symptoms, because we can't move forward until we do. We cannot move forward. We can't accomplish our purpose. We can't do what we're here to do until we get this done. Now, I'll say this. You can't investigate forever because every issue, every situation has a shelf life just like the milk in your refrigerator, it's got a shelf life, all right? You can leave it in there a very, very long time. The problem is, if you leave it there past its shelf life, it starts to get really stinky. Conflict left past its shelf life gets really stinky and really toxic really fast. So there's a shelf life, so you need to understand that. So when you're identifying the issue, you've got to get in there. Some, some, honestly, sometimes you're going to have minutes Sometimes you're going to have hours. Sometimes you're going to have days or weeks. That's great. Every now and then you've got time. But no, you need to know what that time is. So part of the job as a leader, part of your job in working through the conflict is to understand this has a shelf life so we can't just wait around. We 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 can't we can't be lazy about this. We've got to dive into this. We need to identify it and we need to identify it as quickly as we can. Not rushing it, but being having some urgency to it, some expediency, so that we get down to what the real issue is. So we identify the issue, and once we've done that, we've gone past the symptoms, we've gotten down to the root cause, we now know what the issue is, so we can go after it with a sledgehammer. Next, we need to clarify. We need to clarify the expectations. In my experience, I'm not gonna put a percentage on it, I'm just gonna say a whole lot of conflict gets resolved the moment you clarify expectations because we all have these we expect this, we experience this and here's what in the middle these unmet expectations that's the frustration gap. And as soon as we bring the expectations in line and we clarify the expectations, we clarify with them what we expect and they clarify with us what they expect and, we, and it's like light bulb goes off and like ah oh, now I this is actually going to be a whole lot easier to deal with than I thought it was. Because it was just a matter of we were just two different expectations. Your expectation was west, my expectation was east, and we just got to work through this. This is a little easier because now we know where each one is coming from. So we clarify the expectations, bringing absolute, complete clarity to everything. Now, to do this, we all have two superpowers that we can tap into. Here's two superpowers ta- that you can tap into, and these are completely by choice. All right? These are not superpowers that you get from you know, a radioactive spider or a stone from outer space. Okay, These are superpowers that you can choose to have. The first is you're super approachable. All right? You can be absolutely super approachable. All right? This is not a picture of my front door, but I swear we have that exact welcome mat on our front door. But anyway... Um, Super approachable. Open door. People can come to you. They can approach you. I don't understand this, but I've been told I can be an intimidating person, and not everybody likes to approach me. So I have to be careful in how I approach people. I have to be careful in how I present myself. Right? I can present present myself in an intimidating way, or I can pre- present myself as more approachable. You know, I, I've got to be careful. I'll sit in meetings like this. Well, the problem with that body language is don't talk to him, and he doesn't care what you have to say. So I have to, I have to be careful. That's how I'm sitting there processing. I'm leaning back in the chair, arms crossed. I, I realized a couple of pastors I worked for as a young man did that, probably kind of where I got it from. Well, I've learned that I need to be more approachable. So I need, to, I need to sit there leaning in, hands out where they can be seen, to be approachable. People need to know they can approach you. They need to know they can trust you. So you need to be approachable. The second superpower you can have is you can be unoffendable. Now, here's the thing about being unoffendable. If someone is coming to you and they're presenting a problem or an issue to you, someone is coming to you and they're presenting to you a conflict or, or you're asking questions in a moment and they're sharing those things with you, if they're, if they're not trying to offend you, why should you get offended even if what they say is offensive? If someone's not trying to offend you, why should you get offended? Because if they're not trying to offend you, they're trying to make the situation better. They might not be going about it in the best way. Their tone might not be great, but if they're not trying to offend you, don't get offended. And if they are trying to offend you, they're a jerk, and their punishment for being a jerk is they don't get to offend you. So why let them manipulate you? So be super approachable and super unoffendable. This will help you bring absolute clarity to the situation. And clarity is so important. Because, to, be, I, I, I jumped ahead myself, I was about to give you a slide that I wasn't ready to give you yet. To do this, to be super approachable, seek to understand before seeking to be understood. Seek to understand before seeking to be understood. This goes against everything happening in our society today through social media, and mainstream media, and politicians, And almost everybody else. We don't take time to sit and understand one another. We just shout to be understood. But how much better would it be if we would take time? Again, be curious. Seek to understand. You know what? They might be wrong. So what? At least understand where they're coming from. I remember growing up, we had a 1970 Dodge Dart Swinger, two-door black. Slant six engine in it, three on the tree. That means a manual transmission that you shifted, but it was on the column, not on the floor. All right? I remember driving, in, driving down the road in that car. My dad's driving. My mom's, and I can't tell you how many times I heard my mom yell at my dad about how fast he was driving. Because she's looking over at the speedometer, and in that car, from the passenger seat, it looked like you were going faster than you were from the driver's seat. And she's like, I'm telling you, you're going 70 miles an hour shouldn't do 70 miles an hour in this car, on this road, blah, blah, blah. You're going on and on. My dad's like, what are you talking about? I'm not doing 70, I'm doing 65. Probably still shouldn't have been doing 65 on that country road, but you know, anyway. And so here's the thing. To her, it was absolute truth that he was going 70 because that's what she sees. And so they can just sit there and bicker at each other, or they could take time to stop and understand one another, switch places, and see the other person's perspective. In engineering, that's called a parallax. When two people are looking at the same dial and see it from two different, length, two, d- two different perspectives. They see two different readings depending on where you're looking at the dial from. It's called a parallax. It's a different perspective. And if they would just take time to seek to understand that sitting in this seat, it looks like this. Sitting in this seat, it looks like that. And as soon as we understand that, yes, one technically is right and one is technically wrong. But that doesn't matter. What matters is understanding. Understanding. Seek to understand before being understood. So, so important. Again, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. So listen to understand. Now, that doesn't mean one person gets to dominate the whole time. I'll put time limits on You know we have we have we have a shelf life remember we have limited time here so if i'm coaching people through conflict i can't sit there for five hours while one person rambles on and on so you get 10 minutes to share your side of things you get 10 minutes to share yours or whatever it is whatever is appropriate but seek to understand first quick to listen slow to speak slow to become angry and in doing so we can get to this point of absolute clarity so we know where they're coming from they can know where we're coming from and this is important because to be unclear is to be unkind is unkind to be unclear and as a leader if people are frustrated n- then you need to step in and you need to maybe check the clarity of expectations to make sure that that you've been as clear as you think you've been this happened this has happened to me more times than I care to admit i i was clear and i walk away and find out later on they they uh, this just happened to me last week. Okay, we have a school at at, in, uh, at our Gehanna campus. And so we've got a school there, and I was meeting with the principal of the school and I asked her a question about the use of one of the rooms. because um, I, I work on the relationship between the church and the school. It's part of part of my job. And so I asked her about it, and she said, Oh uh, oh, that would cause this, then I was like, Oh, no problem. No worries. I was just asking a question. It's a non-starter. we're not gonna do anything. And she kept going. I said, It's not a problem. If this is gonna affect the school negatively in that way, we're not gonna do it. And I went on. The superintendent had a meeting with me the next day and said, oh, I hear you dropped quite a bombshell on our principal yesterday. I'm going, what? She still heard that we as a church might take that room away from them. And that wasn't what I was doing. I was asking a question, what if we did this with that room, found out it was gonna negatively hurt the school, so I wasn't gonna do it, but I didn't make that absolutely clear enough to her in the moment. And then I also came to find out later that the way she presented it to the superintendent wasn't quite the way the superintendent presented it to me. So there was just some lack of clarity happening in those conversations. So once, once I had the conversation with the superintendent, we cleared things up, everything's great. Conflict gone, absolutely gone. Clarity, and to be unclear is to be uncomfortable. And if we are intentionally being unclear or we're going in and we're just thinking, oh, well, I'm in charge. Everyone, everyone's got to listen to how I said it, so you got to figure it out. No, that's unkind. That's unkind to do. All right. So we identify, we clarify, and then finally we rectify. We rectify the relationship, the issue, the situation. Because, again, relationships and people matter more than tasks. Always. man, matter way more than tasks, and so we want to make sure that we do whatever it takes to heal the, situa- heal the relationship, to bridge the gap, to fix the situation, to bring things together. Now, it doesn't mean we're all going to be best friends, and it doesn't even mean we're all going to agree on everything, but agreement is not, is not the desired result. Alignment is. We want alignment, and alignment is everybody pulling in the same direction. Let me tell you a great story of alignment. In 2016, one church took over what is now the One Church Gahanna campus at 817 North Hamilton Road. Previously, it was Pathway Church, and prior to that, it was Evangel Christian or Evangel Temple, um, and had been. And so that building has been a church for decades. Well, when One Church took over in 2016, one of the gentlemen from Pathway that was on the board was on the board at One Church, and at one of their early board meetings. Um, one church was talking about the work that was going to be done on the, on the facilities around there, all the updating. Because, quite honestly, and, and this guy um, that was on the board for Pathway will tell you, Pathway had gone through about 10 years, that building that had gone through about 10 years of neglect. It was about 8 to 10 years behind in some basic maintenance stuff. So one church was talking about some of the work that was going to be done. One of those things is going to paint the outside of the building the dark charcoal gray that it is now, almost black, not quite. And the board member from Pathways, his name's Roger. Roger, and this has all been shared publicly, so it's no problem. Roger said, uh, "Pastor, I don't like that color. I think we should go with a lighter color." And so they talked about it and talked about, it and, and I said, "Well, Roger, what do you think? This I, this is the color." Roger said, "Look, I don't like the color, but here's the thing: if this body, if the decision from today is that we're going to paint the building any color, he goes, I don't care if it's chartreuse." Which Pastor Greg will tell you, that's the day he learned chartreuse was a real color. But anyway, um, he goes, I don't care if it's chartreuse. Hand me a paintbrush. I don't like it, but hand me a paintbrush. That's alignment. That's alignment. And our goal within our teams and with our ministries is to get alignment. To where we're all hands in the middle, pulling in the same direction. Because you get on a tug-of-war line and you start pulling in different directions, you're not going to win. The only way to win is everybody's hands in the middle, pulling in the same direction. So alignment means we're moving forward together with unity of purpose and mission. And again, it doesn't mean we're always gonna be best friends with everybody. It doesn't even mean you're gonna like everybody. You know what, it's okay to not like some people on your team from time to time. It's absolutely okay to not like somebody on your team from time to time. But you better love them, you better value them, you better see them as a person that has significance and treat them with respect. Yeah, moving forward together with unity of purpose and mission. Yep, absolutely. Romans chapter 12, verse 18 says this. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Notice it does not say live in peace with everyone. It doesn't say live in peace with everyone. It says do all you can to live in peace with everyone. Meaning, do your part. Now, if they don't do theirs, that's fine. That's on them. I can't promise that if you do the right thing, the other person will also. I can promise if you don't do the right thing, the relationship won't be what it needs to be. And the team will not function the way it should function. So we have to at least do our part. And hopefully they'll do theirs as well. So healthy conflict. Identify, clarify, rectify. Know what the issue is, clarify the expectations, and then rectify the situation, relationship, or issue. All right. Questions, comments, thoughts. I'm a couple minutes past what I was supposed to be. Open up for questions, but we still have time before the end of this session so. and out of it yep good question it It's gonna depend upon um I mean there's gonna be a million factors in there it's gonna depend upon the level of the conflict and the cooperation that you can achieve between the individuals, but um, in in that one, you still go through the same framework. What is the real issue here? What's caused it to go sour to this point? Was it because it wasn't dealt with quick enough? Was it because um, there was some other toxicity here? Um, some outside agent introduced into it? Identify what's the real issue. Start to clarify expectations and then try to rectify it. Now I will tell you this. Sometimes the way you rectify the relationship is you make a change in the relationship. I've had conflict with individuals that, to rectify it, that somebody was moving on. And by the way, you can fire volunteers. Yep. Now, if you're not, th- if if you don't have the, if you don't have the backing and authority of those over you to do so, that's going to be a slightly different situation. Uh, you better be very careful how you handle that. But, um, but that's where you start. Um, and sometimes you have to bring someone else involved. Some, sometimes you're just going to have to do that. Um, and sometimes you're just going to have to manage your way through it. I'll give you an example. We've got a conflict in our family, not our immediate family, but extended family, that it's a, it's a little toxic. I mean, it is. And we've tried to work through it. We've tried to have conversations. Um, it's on my wife's side. And um, she, is, she has done what she can. And it's still kind of there. But we choose to still see that person and see their family. There are certain conversations we don't have. Um, So that's going back to we use some of the short term, sometimes avoiding, sometimes accommodating, sometimes compromising. Um, We've not been able to get to the point of collaboration with this individual. We just have not. And so there are are certain things that, that we just work through that way. And so we manage it. Because, again, all we can do is what we can do. And so we're doing we're doing our part. Uh, but you still run the framework. Identify the issue, clarify the expectations, and try to rectify the situation. Um, and toxic relationships and toxic c- situations can be healed and fixed. They can be. They take a little longer and a lot more effort. But they can be. And then I don't want to leave out what his question was, pray your way into it, pray your way through it, and pray your way out of it. Because sometimes the only way it's going he- to take, be taken care of is for the Holy Spirit to come and do a work. Other thoughts, comments, questions? I'll even take a random wonderment, if anyone's got one. Yep, hundred percent. And and again, do what you can do, do your part. So absolutely right. And then, all right. Thank you. All right, we're right at two o'clock, so that's it. Thank you all very much.